Time again on Coast Access Radio for another Age-Friendly Cities and Communities program. Kapiti Older Persons Council's Jill Stansfield joins us again. Welcome again, Jill. And thank you very much for having me, and it's lovely to be here. I can't believe we're in May already. <laughs> well, that's uh, my oldest <laughs> child or older child's birthday month so there oh. you are there's something special about me and winter's just around the corner so wonderful uh, don't go there wonderful <laughs> we talked in the last program about all sorts of topics particularly cognitive activities for older adults and you can find out more about that in the autumn publication of the age concern magazine there it is on page five another dimension of aging social isolation and loneliness. Now, you know, the old days, you asked an older person, yeah, yeah, you're fine, you're fine. Oh, I'm okay. I'm all right. Put up or shut up, basically. And that's essentially what they did and still do is shut up. But in reality, they're, mm. they're not fine. No, no. Well, more and more is being discovered about the impact of social isolation and loneliness. And, for example, loneliness acts as well, I've read it as being described as a fertilizer for other diseases. Wow. That's, <laughs> did you write that yourself? That's <laughs> no. a, What a great quote. No, I, I can't claim that I did. But uh, let's face it, the biology of loneliness can accelerate the buildup of plaque and arteries. And it helps cancer cells grow and spread. And it promotes inflammation in the brain that leads to Alzheimer's disease. Gosh. Now, I didn't know that, and when I did read that, I thought, oh, my goodness, other people won't know either, and I better make sure I include it. Yeah. So it's important to make people feel welcome, to make them unlonely. Yes, somehow. And loneliness actually promotes several types of wear and tear on the body. And that's a quote by a Dr. Cole, who is the director of genomics core laboratory at the University of California, Los Angeles, and he added that people who feel lonely may also have weakened immune cells that have trouble fighting off viruses, which makes them more vulnerable to some infectious diseases. Now, that would be an interesting study on COVID cases. Wouldn't it ever? Gosh. When you think about it, yeah. the implications are, well, huge, really. Mm. Other research shows that having a sense of mission and a purpose in life is actually linked to having healthier immune cells. Mm -hmm. And helping others through caregiving or volunteering also helps people feel less lonely. It's almost like if, you, if you're keeping your mind occupied, therefore you haven't got time. You haven't got time to stop and get the flu or a cold or COVID, <laughs> for example. Now, that's a fair comment, actually. And that this then made me think about the current COVID problem. Will we see increasing problems in older people that mm. might be attributed to increased social isolation and loneliness? And what can we do about this? Well, I counted over 50 clubs and similar organisations that are available for local residents to choose from. And yes, maybe some of them will perhaps not be operating in their usual manner due to COVID, but again, check things out before you go and get yourself involved. But I want to go back just for a minute to a remark that one of the specialists in Wellington Hospital made to me. They repeatedly tell me I've made outstanding progress. And 
one of them actually then said, you know, it's your attitude that has done that. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe I should say I'm an example. If I could overcome that confounded infection, as I have, then it is mostly down to attitude rather than all the penicillin that's keeping me alive. <laughs> you know, that's, you know, it's, while we may laugh and you think, oh, it's not really that, it should be something to do with it. You don't necessarily know if you've been given pills. Some might be placebos. It's just in your mind saying, oh, I'll take this. This will help me. And I, because I'm taking something, it's helping me. <laughs> it is It is a mind thing. It's Yeah. You yeah, know, it's the sort of thing. I'm not suggesting that mind over matter. I won't get COVID. I won't get COVID. I won't get COVID. You know, it's not, it doesn't quite work like that. But um, again, keeping active, doing something, getting out of the house, getting off your backside, and doing things. Now, a lot of older folk, for example, might need a bit more motivation than us just telling them uh, to do this. You know, they may need family members, for example, to go in and say, hey, come on, let's take you here and let's take you there. And then they'll say, oh, okay, all right. They won't do it on their own. No, no. I, and, and But I'm wondering if the upcoming generation who will be oldies in a few years' time, as it were, whether they will have the same attitude because I know that if even if I take my own generation, um, my attitude to ageing is different to that which was held by my parents and vastly different from that which was held by my grandparents, mm. thinking back to my childhood days. Yeah, well, that's where you've got to keep, you know, one or two steps ahead. And, for example, with COVID, we don't quite know what's coming up around the corner with this. It could be some completely new variant that we don't know about yet, and there probably will be. Well, I think that's unfortunately likely to be very true. But when we're thinking about our lives in the more immediate future, I guess that you, like me, have been sort of thinking about ways to stay one step ahead of our immediate Mm. future. And although you might have already included my next point in your planning, don't forget to plan ahead to make sure you have a continuous supply of any medication upon which you rely. Yes. And remember... Always collect your repeat prescriptions a few days before your current supplies run out. And that's really important. It is important because not only with COVID, but anything could happen. We've got to be prepared for, you know, earthquakes, tsunami, you know. Oh, that'll never happen in my lifetime. Well, guess what? It is very likely to. Living where we do, we we are in an area where, um, what do we say, unpredictable events are Likely to happen, you know. Likely is probably the only word to use. Yep, Um, and you've got to anticipate otherwise. Climate change, all that, is giving us more and more intense weather patterns. So, yeah, here it is. Whether you believe in climate change or not is irrelevant. It is happening. Yeah, Um, well, anything that's different like that, that impinges upon how um, life normally progresses, it becomes quite a, a, a serious Issue, or not really a threatening issue, but it's a serious issue, yeah. potentially. Yep, all good food for thought. It is. So another point of interest, I know you often refer to the WHO's checklist of essential features of age-friendly cities. So let's keep going through this again, and we keep reiterating and reiterating. might be helpful to say how to find this document online, Jill. I think that's a very good point. Yes, well, I simply type in World Health Organization, and then when that comes up, 
I add checklist of essential features of age-friendly cities Mm -hmm. and then next click on that response. This checklist has eight domains or categories and they include things like transportation and housing to give but two examples. And there are a total of 83 bullet points in the four pages. Have you counted them? Yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) It was quite challenging in the sense that I sort of thought, well, they no, they don't all have the same number. No, they're on different pages, and each category has a variable number, so I better count them separately. Okay. Now, there is actually a purpose to this checklist, isn't there? There's a stated purpose to this. Yeah, and the purpose is stated as being to help address barriers to the well-being and participation of older people and This document also has the intent of overlapping and interacting one section with another. For an example, to quote, respect is reflected in the accessibility of public buildings and spaces and in the range of opportunities that the community offers to older people for things like social participation, entertainment, volunteering or employment. Mm. And that's often not sort of thought of in that context. Respect is an interesting word to use in there. Yeah, mm. I, I like mm. that. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's their words, not mine. And yeah. as they are the ones that put it together, I sort of have to use that word. Yeah. <laughs> but now, a, a lack of public transport, for example, isolates older people who no longer drive and they then are isolated in their homes and they the fact that they are isolated in their homes makes participation in community life difficult. Now, we have, you know, in our area, in I'll say Kapiti, say, because I'm talking about the train service. It's a very mm. good train service that goes, you know, every 20 minutes and off-peak, and it gives you the opportunity to use your gold card and so on. If you don't live near the train line, then it makes it a little harder. Now, some might say, oh, well, you can get the bus to the train, yeah, you could, but again, that's not for everyone, and accessibility issues on a bus are slightly different to a train, Jill. They most certainly are, yes. If I talk about that, and I think about my own experience, luckily, my upper body strength is pretty darn good, and when I did that bus trip around the South Island, even though it sometimes meant a big step up from ground level to get into the bus, I could haul myself on my arms and you know not everybody can do that i've watched others Uh, even there was one person on the tour who had a real struggle getting in Mm. you know you don't think about that Mm. in the same way yeah you know buses and trains while they're important they're also a business and you know if they're not making money certain routes on the bus line for example uh, are cut off or they alter or change them so it's it's almost a catch-22 situation you might think, oh, there's not enough buses and it's too inconvenient, so I won't use them. But then the buses don't run because no one uses them. But if you started using them, then they might run a bit more. Yeah, it, it's, it is really a catch-22. But as people um, become older, they will find that there are more restrictions around maintaining a driver's license. And so people who have once been very reliant upon getting out and about in their own cars will suddenly find that they've got to rely upon public transport. And for some, that is a huge challenge. Well, another sort of opportunity, there was once upon a time they were talking about putting a, a railway station in Ramadi South, sort of the end of Poplar mm. Avenue. I, I guess that's sort of dead and buried now. I'm not sure. I've never heard 
a boo about that for the last nearly 10 years or so. That would be a very convenient thing to have. It would, yeah. And, well, who knows what might, um, what will I say, be decided in the future that will be necessary because it, with Transmission Gully opening and with the fact that we now have uh, greater ease of accessibility between Wellington and and the Kapiti Coast, I think we'll find a build, building boom going on before too long. It's just me guessing. Yeah, well, certainly opening up the Horta Whenua as well. Mm. That brings another sort of side issue. It's very hard to get from Kapiti to Horta Whenua because the train stops at Waikanae. There's no bus service that runs on a regular basis. Yes, we have the Capital Connection, but it's only once a day. Mm. Um, there's a couple of buses that go in between. If you want to go from Levin to Poroporomu, for example, that's pretty hard. I agree. And I think this is where ultimately public opinion needs to, um, how will we put it politely, start making a noise about the improvements to public transport that will, in fact, yeah. help everybody in the long run. It's yeah. not just beneficial to oldies, it's benefit of benefit to everyone. And it's all very well having a great public transport system, but you need a good reason to go somewhere, I guess. That's, you know, another topic for our older folk. It is, because if it, the public transport is sort of, how we put it there, adapted to meet the needs of seniors, both in terms of shed dwelling and destination, it advances mobility and facilitates social participation and a sense of belonging in one's own community. Those are all important points and you don't always hang all those on transport, but it is often the basis. Is there enough entertainment in our community to keep older folks satisfied? Yes, you've got the, the movies. What else? We've got a lot of clubs, and I yes. think, as I mentioned earlier, I think that if people are interested in joining particular clubs, do the homework, find out when they meet, find out whether you can get there, because that will be a big problem for some people. Yeah, I mean, there are Rotary Clubs, Lions Clubs, those sorts of things. They do still exist. Oh, yeah, and there are book clubs where you can go and discuss yeah. your favourite um, well, novels, so whatever book you're reading, and other... Um, set texts as well yeah. but um, if we sort of think back to older people and getting out and about it's equally important that older people continue to have a good reason to go out and participate yeah. and cultural offers and entertainment that cater to the interests of older people opportunities for volunteering or civic engagement contribute to a fulfilling and enjoyable older age and that is a quote from the World Health organization document about age-friendly world and it is talking about the world health organization global network and i guess you could argue speaking of global you know yes the world is opening up again and travel is an option so here we are transport travel Mm. and so on so (laughs) it's getting easier and easier again still some precautions have to be made but just get out and see the place the old don't leave town till you see the country is yeah, I think that that's a fair comment, actually. Yeah. And, um, you know, um, we'll put it this way. I did quite a bit of overseas travel, and I didn't do a lot 
of um, New Zealand travel. And why? Because I decided that going overseas would become difficult when I was older, well, a bit more difficult when I was older, mm. and that I could find it easier to get around in New Zealand. And that, that's actually what I am doing. Yeah. All right. Interesting sort of food for thought, if you like. It is. It and is. good to feed the brain with that. <laughs> Let's take a different path now, something else a bit different, accessing the printed word, for want of a better way to put it, Jill. Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking about the fact that there are occasions when printed signs and other information sources are not easily able to be read by some people. And I know I've talked about it before, but I think we do need to keep sort of um, thinking about this. But as an example, not everyone can read black print on a white page with ease. And as an aside, I know a person who has difficulty in reading street signs that are white font on a blue background. Now, there's, a, there's a syndrome attached to this, isn't there? Yes, there is. It's called Erlen syndrome. And if you think that you are in that um, category of having a difficulty like that, and if you think you need to have your eyes tested because you're not sure about what's going on, Please be very sure that you make sure that the optometrist whom you choose to to um, consult with has, in fact, got training in Erlen syndrome. Not all of them do, and therefore it's a good point to understand that you need to ask. Mm. And you can change fonts and so on, even on computers. And I don't know whether libraries offer different sorts of fonts and printed books and so on, they possibly well do. Well, I know they offer large print, and that yeah. that's a step in the right direction. That's true. But it's only one little step. But anyway, to go back to black print on a white page for a moment, now, if that affects you or a member of your family, you just might like to try using a pair of sunglasses when you're reading. I know it sounds a bit daft. So why? Well, they often filter out some part of the visible spectrum that is causing the difficulty to your reading process. And you can try different coloured lenses too because not all sunglasses uh, have, well, sort of, how will we put it, are the same shade. And another approach, try putting a transparent coloured overlay over the page and then see if it is more comfortable to read doing that. That's, That's a very interesting point. And a lot of people with with phones and so on find it very, very hard to read this small text. Now, you get a text from your grandson or granddaughter. (laughs) Did you get my text, Grandpa? Yes, I couldn't read it, Mm. unfortunately. Um, It's pretty simple to enlarge it. By saying that, um, I'm not being disrespectful, but some people don't necessarily know how to enlarge the text. But there are ways of doing it, so you don't miss out on, on some of that information. Well, that's good. Who would you suggest that people go to when they need that sort of help? Well, <laughs> a teenager, their grandchildren. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Sometimes it's it's in the instructions. I know a lot of people. I'm I'm not one to read instructions and so on, but there are simple settings in your telephone um, where you can enlarge the text, and by just clicking on one or two different apps, it's. It's there. Mine's pretty big. My kids laugh at me. <laughs> Look at you can't read. <clears throat> I can read it if it's larger, so that's fine. Yeah, it's, and it's just understanding what you can do to enable you to have the access. Yeah, so it might just pay to check there if you know some older folk in the community. 
I want to go back to the mobility issue. Now, in the Wellington area, how many people have mobility cards? Is there a statistic on that, Jill? Yes. um, uh, There are apparently 3,500 mobility card holders in the Wellington region alone. And most of those people are, of course, over 65. Mm. What's that? And we probably don't know. We'd have to think about it. I wonder what that is as a percentage of of total drivers. That's a very good point, yeah. And what I'm getting at there is if it's, say, 5% of the total number Mm. of drivers, does that mean that 5% of the car parks in malls, shopping areas, you name it, are mobility parks? That's very interesting. As I've mentioned um, in that article that I wrote that's in the um, quarterly magazine to which we have been alluding, um, with that, the, um, the how will I put it, um, the percentage that will actually need to have help in um, recognising the differences is, is, is well, it's... it's I don't think it's clearly understood, put it that way. No. And I don't think it's clearly addressed. So I think that if we think about the number of people who do have mobility card holders, and if there are 3,500 in the greater Wellington area, well, sorry, in the Wellington area, and that most of them are over 65, doesn't that change the way we should look at things? And if I go to mobility parking, I if, every time that I've checked that out, the ratio has been that which has been described as being that which is required within the New Zealand standards document uh, 41212001, and I, uh, it's around about page 19, I think, if I remember correctly. But um, there you go. I don't even have that reference with me at the moment. So that's all off the top of my head. Those statistics make interesting reading. Let's finish up this program now. Jill, with another point of interest, New Zealand ratified the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities in 2008. That's nearly 15 years ago. I know. It's not very long ago, is it? And to think that we've had the, what will I put it? Well, think back to your childhood. Um, my childhood, okay, way back in the late 40s, um, there were older people then who um, had difficulty getting around and, um, you know, they were isolated completely. Mm. And and I think that that's just not good enough because this convention is an interesting document. It's all, as I've already said, on the rights of persons with disabilities. However, it's a key document in the area of accessibility, and the purpose of the convention is said to be to promote, protect, and ensure the full and equal enjoyment of all human rights and fundamental freedoms by all persons with disabilities and to promote respect for their inherent dignity. The New Zealand Disability Strategy was guided by the principles of the United Nations Convention convention, I better get that right, on the rights of persons with disabilities. Now, disabilities, so, in a sense, goes hand in hand with maybe becoming becoming more mature, getting older. <laughs> it's a polite way of saying it. Not every older person will have a disability and not every person with a disability will be old. No, but roughly a quarter of the people in New Zealand will have a level of disability regardless um, and and I think 
if you think about that, a quarter of the population, and it does include things like hearing and vision as well as a physical limitation, mm. you know, that's, that's a lot of people. It is a lot of people. And population's only going to get older as far as the percentage of those over 65 is concerned. That's just going to grow and grow because we live longer. And not only that, don't forget the baby boom started earlier here and mm. went on for longer. And I know I need to keep on saying that because, you know, people often sort of wonder why is our society structured in this way? That's why. That's a great place to end. <laughs> That's an excellent place to end. Let's just reiterate again, if you want to have a look at the checklist of essential features of age-friendly cities and communities, because that's been added since it was originally mm, Correct. talked about, yep. um, just Google WHO or the World Health Organization, then just type in checklist of essential features. You'll find it there. Yeah, and it's, Online. I think, a very useful document, and it's something that I just wish everybody knew about because it's so good to be able to say, oh, well, in this document called A Checklist of Essential Features of Age-Friendly Cities and Communities, then you've got leverage because, you know, it's not you sounding off, it's you using a source of information that is worldwide. Mm. Plus the Age Concern newsletter which is out, the autumn edition is out. I guess the winter edition won't be far away, will it? Blimey. Well, no, that's the point, yeah. Winter <laughs> isn't that far away, is yeah. it? Says she, thinking it was a cooler morning. <laughs> in places like libraries and a few other areas, age concerns in your community will have these good reads. And you contribute to this, don't you, Jill? Yes, I do. Yes, as a lot of very good people do. Jill, always a pleasure to catch up every fortnight, and we look forward to our next discussion. And thank you very, very much for having me. That is our Age-Friendly Cities and Communities program. Every fortnight we do it here at Coast Access Radio. This program is made with assistance from New Zealand On Air for radio broadcast and through the accessmedia.nz website. Thank you, New Zealand On Air.